Well, hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Joe Galati podcast, broadcasting high above the Texas Medical Center in Houston, purveyor of all things related to the liver, health and wellness, nutrition, food and cooking, and all-around doctor banter and witty repartee with our experts that visit us. Our website is drjoegalati.com. If you'd like to send me a note, subscribe to our newsletter, or even see me as a patient. If you want to call and be part of the program, dial us at 888-438-9431. And now, on with the podcast. from Houston, Texas, home to the world's largest medical center. This is Your Health First, the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, it is another awesome Sunday night here. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks for tuning in to Your Health First every single Sunday evening for just an hour between 7 and 8 p.m. But we're going to make you better consumers of health care. We're going to raise your health IQ and do our best to keep you out of the doctor's office, out of the emergency room, out of the hospital by hook or by crook. And it comes down to education. This is what we say every Sunday evening. It's education, awareness, and it's our job to inspire you to take the action that you need. Now, tonight on the program, we're talking heart disease. Give us a heart. Dr. Tom McGilvery with Houston Methodist Hospital. He is the chief of cardiac surgery and thoracic transplant, heart transplant. He's going to be coming on the third and fourth segment. So stay tuned. If you have heart disease or have gone for heart surgery, heart failure, listen in. That's what your job tonight is going to be. And then um, it's always fun to talk about nutrition. And Helen Yuan who is no stranger to your health first. She's sitting right across from me tonight. She's a registered dietitian, works with me Monday through Friday in our clinic, taking care of patients with liver disease, obesity, fatty liver. And I tasked her to come on and talk about consumer confusion with regard to food. And I, and I think if there's one thing out there, if you are listening you go shopping, you're trying to do the right thing, and you get fooled, suckered, whatever the word you want to use, to buy something that you probably don't need, and it probably is not giving you the health benefit that you think it might be doing. So Helen has a list of bewares that we're going to share with all of you tonight. Now, how do you get in touch with us? Well, the easiest way is go to drjoegalati.com. Links to the radio program, yourhealthfirst.com is there. 
liver specialists of Texas, our practice, information about eating yourself sick, our book is available there. Now, if you sign up for the newsletter, you can download chapter four of the audiobook. So if you want to test drive it and see if you like the book, go to drjoegalati.com, sign up for the newsletter. All of our social media and blog and podcasting is all there. All right. What I wanted to talk about in the first segment here is nuts. And there is a uh, newsletter that I get. It's called Nutrition Action. Helen, are you familiar with this? You haven't? No. All right. We'll make you familiar with it. Uh, this, is, this is really a very good publication. I've been getting it probably for about 10 years. And every month there are great articles about food and nutrition and disease. And there was a nice little table here about nuts. Now, when I talk to my patients about nuts, very important that nuts are part of your diet, but there's a few little fine points to understand. Number one, if possible, you want to buy raw nuts, not the roasted nuts because they may actually taste a little better, but because they have added fat and oils and that's the stuff that tastes good. So if you could buy raw nuts, they're going to be lower in calories. And if you can get unsalted nuts, because many times they are just slathered with salt and sodium and so many people have hypertension, they're overweight and you don't, you're getting enough salt in the diet anyway. You don't need to get extra salt from, from nuts you're, you're chomping on. But nuts in general are a great snack. And that's where a lot of people that are, are struggling with their diet, struggling with obesity and their diabetes, it's the snacks. We are snacking ourselves into oblivion. And so a serving of nuts is about 100 to 120 calories. Of course, it all depends on how many you eat. But that should be enough to satisfy you, I would say, in the morning to get you from breakfast to lunch. And then mid-afternoon, another you can, another serving of nuts. That'll get you through dinner so you're not famished and... Um, Dive into the drive-thru on the way in. But anyway, this, this particular little graphic here talks about if you're going to have nuts. And, and I would not look at it to say eat a particular nut because it's going to give you a particular health advantage. I think have a variety of nuts. But keep in mind that there are three nuts in general that you may want to pay special attention to. And it is walnuts, sunflower seeds... And soy nuts. And the reason is that these have the highest polyunsaturated fat, which will tend to lower the LDL cholesterol, which is the bad cholesterol. So you should all know that it's not just the total cholesterol, it's the fraction of the good and the bad. And the LDL is the bad. So if you eat more walnuts, sunflower seeds, and the soy nuts, you are potentially contributing to a better lipid profile by lowering the LDLs. Opposed to Brazil nuts, 
cashews, and I absolutely love cashews. I could eat cashews all day. Uh, and macadamias, those have the lowest amounts of polyunsaturated. So I'm not saying never, ever eat a cashew again, but limited moderation. You want to bulk up a little bit more. I would say on the walnuts, it's a marvelous nut to eat. So that is your public service announcement on nuts. All right, coming up in a minute after this break, Helen Yuan, we're going to be talking about some consumer confusion with regard to food and snacks and other things. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Not only the most consumer-oriented health program, we play the best music. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Don't forget, go to drjoegalati.com, sign up for our newsletter, blog, podcast, all of our social media is there, sign up for our newsletter. In the wings is Dr. Tom McGilvery talking about heart disease heart transplant, uh, a true expert in the studio tonight. But now we're going to turn our attention back to Helen Yuan, our registered dietitian that I have the pleasure of working with every day in our office where she is caring and inspiring our patients that uh, have some nutritional challenges for themselves. And Helen, really what I wanted you to uh, chat about tonight is, as I was saying earlier, some of these consumer confusion issues. And um, I'll just turn it over to you. And uh, I'm anxious to hear what you've got to say. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone tuning in. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to food marketing has Mm -hmm. to do with the very liberal use of the word natural. Right. There's absolutely no regulation over what constitutes as a natural food. They can put it on anything. And a lot of consumers will see that word and um, sort of be led to believe that it's something that has health benefits and it's going to be good for them, but that is not always going to be the case. And often if it is something that comes in packaging and has the words natural on it, it's likely not going to be one of the best foods that they could be having. So do you, do you, do you think... For everybody tuning in tonight, just as a general statement, when they're shopping tonight or tomorrow at their local grocery store, wherever they are, and they see natural, the antennas should go up and say, warning, 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 do not buy this product. I mean, should we, should we move the needle that far that they, they just um, avoid it? I would say that if they... A purchase any or look at anything in the grocery store that has any kind of packaging or is in any container, cans, bottles, they should already have that alert um, at maximum right. and be aware of what they need to look for, which would be the nutrition facts panel and the ingredients list. Right. They should really avoid giving any kind of credence to anything else that they see on that packaging aside from those two. Things. Yeah. Now, can can you give an example? Because really, I would think you could walk through the supermarket right now mm-hmm. and probably pluck off a thousand items 
in one breath. But <laughs> is there one in particular that that you are most uh, concerned about where patients, not patients, consumers, a lot of our patients mm-hmm. are are buying things with the intention of it's natural. This is good for me and the family and the kiddos, mm-hmm. but really it's, it's uh, just a bunch of bunk. Yeah. I would say um, protein bars are a big one. Uh, total, total <laughs> yeah. pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Pretty much candy bars with added protein in them. Right. And a lot of uh, frozen meals that market themselves as promoting weight loss or being quote unquote natural. Right. Those are my two big ones. Yeah. You know, I, I see people walking around with protein bars and, and I, there is this, I mean, truly whoever mastermind the idea that protein bars sell should win the Nobel prize because, you know, they did a brilliant job of, of advertising, mm-hmm. but the vast majority of these are high in sugar high in calories, and really of, of no major nutritional value. Absolutely. A lot of protein bars aren't even that high in protein. A lot of them will have the same amount that you would find in an egg or in a serving of nuts. Right. However, they definitely have much more sugar, a lot of more preservatives to keep them shelf-stable for as long as they are. Um, yeah. A lot of things that, like you had said, are not providing us with any kind of benefits. And if there's something that people have on a regular basis, like they grab it for breakfast and they're on their way every day, it adds up. Oh, oh it sure does. Would you say, and what, what people tell me is that, gee, I, I get these protein bars, I put them in my pocket, in my, my, uh, my bag that I carry to work, I keep them in my desk, it is super convenient, mm-hmm. but I could rattle off 10 other super convenient things Instead of that, what, uh, what would you say? Give everybody some ideas here. Absolutely. So a lot of my go-to snacks that I would recommend over those sort of products right. would be uh, fresh fruit, berries, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries. They're all in season right now. Uh, cutting up things like apples or carrot sticks or even just buying the baby carrots. You don't even have to do anything with them besides put them into a little baggie or a container. Um, cucumber slices, bell peppers, Greek yogurt, um, just plain Greek yogurt, um, cottage cheese, hard-boiled eggs, right. handful of nuts or seeds, like the ones that you had spent the first segment talking about. Now, the, the, the problem here, and, and you in seeing our patients, they will say, oh, you know, having some fruit cut up, that, that sounds great. I don't have the time. I'm stressed. And, you know, I just take a protein bar and stick it in my pocket and we're done. What, what do you say? What do you say, you know, to everybody tonight? That even though life gets in the way and a lot of us are always pressed for time, that's just kind of how our world is structured nowadays, how our lives are all structured nowadays. But we have to prioritize our health. And in doing that, we need to make time for the things that we know are going to be changes for the better. Yeah. You know, the other consumer fraud, in a sense, is people want, they, they think that eating a product that is gluten-free is good. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, the, what's the story there? Um, behind gluten-free and how that's become so popular? Yeah. Well, no, to eat, you know, a gluten-free product is better, a, a gluten-free chocolate chip cookie uh. 
is better than Chips Ahoy. And oh. so they will buy this package. Right. So that's definitely a big misconception because whenever you look at gluten-free products, they will just substitute that wheat flour or any kind of wheat um, product with some other type of highly processed starch and other um, stabilizing ingredients that are not real food. They're not whole food based. Yeah. So they're definitely not any better. They usually don't have any less calories or any less sugar, right. any less of the other things that are actually causing all yeah. of these chronic health problems. But people are thinking it's gluten-free. I'm treating myself a little better. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because um, you know sometimes people who hear gluten-free aren't even entirely certain what effects gluten has yeah. on our body. Yeah. I would say the last... Um, sort of misunderstanding has to do with calories per serving. So you may you may get a product and it's um, low in calorie and everybody's counting calories these days. But unless you really see what a serving size is, you're you're flying in the in the blind. Absolutely. A lot of food products will have multiple servings within one package of that product and people won't realize it because um, a lot of these products are made in what we think is for an individual serving. So, for example, with a packet of ramen, for a lot of them, if you look on the back, it says that it's however many calories, however much sodium for half a block of that ramen. Or with a lot of the um, sweetened beverages, it'll say right. maybe there's two and a half servings in that entire can. Um, so whenever you're consuming it, you think you're only getting the numbers that you see there. But if you drink the whole thing, then you're going to have 2.5 times that amount. Yeah. No, no, no. I think the, the, the final line here is that you have to be informed. Absolutely. Now, now in, in speaking with your patients, where do you think we're at as far as the informed scale? We still have a lot of work to do. We definitely do. It honestly surprises me very often how little um, our patients are aware of a lot of these different factors that we've discussed today. They really just have not been told about it before coming to see me. Yeah, and exactly. It's it's something that, you know, I spent years in school learning, so it seems kind of like something everyone would know. All right. Helen, stick around. We're going to talk more. We're going to get you roped into the heart discussion with Dr. Tom McGilvery coming up in the next second. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're having a great weekend. Spring is here. The heat in Houston. Make sure you drink enough water when you're out there exercising. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. You're tuned into Your Health First every Sunday between 7 and 8 p.m. Now, keep in mind that go to drjoegalati.com, sign up for our newsletter, all of our social media, information on how to see us as a patient, how to see Helen, uh, if you've got any nutrition issues, and most importantly, the podcast of this week will be out on Thursday. So you're never too far to listen to this again. So in the studio tonight, as I had said 
earlier, a good friend and colleague, Dr. Tom McGilvery, uh, a renowned heart surgeon. He is the chief of cardiac surgery and thoracic transplant at Houston Methodist Hospital, a transplant himself from Boston, not a heart transplant patient, but a, tr- a physical transplant. Tom, welcome uh, to Houston and welcome to the program. Hi, Joe. And uh, it's really great to be here with you tonight and with all the listeners tonight. Thanks well, for asking me. Absolutely. Now, I told you at the beginning, I've got a uh, a gift for you. I'm going to reach over here, hand this to you. It's in foil. Wow. Now, uh, McGilvery ain't Italian, is it? Uh, no. No, not Italian at all. Yeah. No. Uh, and some authentic Irish brown wow. bread. Wow. Joe, that, I made, that I made this afternoon with um, flour from Ireland that uh, my mother-in-law smuggles in. So uh, there you go. Joe, I'm moved. Thank yes. you. This so is a great that, That'll be tomorrow breakfast. You, now, Helen, is, is he allowed a little schmear of butter on it? Oh. Yeah. All right. It's not going to affect your cholesterol profile. It's a double win. Yes. Uh, all right, Tom. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to have you here. I can't remember the last time we had a, a cardiac surgeon on. It's, it's been probably, probably a good five years. To, to get everybody oriented uh, with you and what we're going to be talking about for the next two segments, uh, how long have you been a heart surgeon? How long have you been doing this? And uh, what, are you, what are you doing now here in, in Houston? Yeah, Joe. I've uh, I've been a heart surgeon for 22 years. Uh-huh. Seems like less than that, but yeah. 22 years. And uh, I was offered uh, the great opportunity uh, two and a half years ago to come down to Houston and work with an an absolutely fabulous team at Houston Methodist. And so I head up the heart surgery program and the thoracic transplant uh, program. Mm-hmm. Now uh, we'll we'll talk about heart transplant a little later, but what kind of surgeries non-transplant? So, you know, your typical heart surgery, open heart surgery. What are the kind of procedures that you're doing that the people listening may either have had one themselves or they know a relative that had some sort of heart surgery? Sure. So one of the most common surgeries that are done in the country is a coronary artery bypass grafting procedure. And that's for people who have blockages uh, or stenoses in the arteries to their heart. That's what causes heart attacks, deaths from heart attacks. Uh, Valve surgery, valve replacements, valve repairs. There are four valves uh, in the heart that Mm -hmm. can get diseases. Uh, Do a lot of aortic surgery. The aorta is the main artery Mm -hmm. in the body. It comes from the heart and delivers blood supply to every organ in the body. and, And the aorta can get Aneurysms, that's a dilated uh, uh, aorta, and if it gets dilated, it runs the risk of rupturing, and that's right. a lethal problem. Yeah. So we, we can uh, fix some or even all of the aorta if it's diseased. Uh, a big uh, uh, interest of mine are adults with congenital heart disease. Sure. Mm-hmm. What that is is we think of congenital heart disease, that's something that affects kids. Uh, and over the last 50 years or so, Pediatricians, pediatric cardiologists have done a great job. Mm -hmm. And what was once a lethal childhood disease, uh, now a lot of people are living well into adulthood and have problems from that as they get older. Yeah. So in the 22 years and add a few more years for training and fellowship and med school, explain how, how much new technology 
you find every day in the operating room that makes the job easier for you to perform any of these surgeries as well as for the patient as far as uh, pre-op, post-operative, uh, length of stay, all of that, all of that good stuff. Where, where are we today? Joe, it's, it's unbelievable, really, uh, what's happened over the last quarter of century. Uh, we used to have to wait for people to have problems, uh-huh. uh, to come in with a heart attack or to have heart failure. Uh, the the ability to diagnose problems, the images that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember as a medical student, you'd look at some tests and you had to squint really hard and right. use a lot of your imagination to see what the imagers saw. Now you take a look at a CT scan or an echo and it's in three dimensions and it, it looks exactly what it looks like when you look at it with your eyes. Right. And, and your ability to to make these diagnoses earlier before people have problems. I mean, that that's probably, I think, the most exciting thing, the ability to pick things up quicker. Yeah. We now can do big procedures through small incisions mm-hmm, uh, or no incisions. The, uh, the beginning of and the, 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 real, the, the perfection in many ways of uh, minimally invasive uh, transcatheter technologies. So right. Rather than opening up a big cut in somebody, yeah. we can put a new valve in or or open up blocked arteries with just a pinprick or yeah. a needle hole in a blood vessel. Yeah. It's I amazing. mean, it, it, it really is amazing. Now, um, you know, the w- one thing we were talking about a little earlier uh, off air was obesity. And uh, obesity is is the bad player for everything, even, as you know, for me in liver disease, fatty liver disease, leading cause of cirrhosis and liver cancer, and uh, the, 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 the downstream problems of obesity is, is unbelievable. And, and heart disease is, uh, you know, the number one killer, and uh, so many people die from cardiovascular disease. What, what is your perspective on where we are with obesity, and uh, are you seeing patients younger are you seeing patients with more advanced disease because of obesity? And as Helen was saying, they're eating the wrong things. What, what's your, you know, from a surgeon's perspective, what do you think of obesity? Well, certainly obesity has increased in the prevalence. I mean, it's much more common than it used to be. Uh, and obesity carries with it other associated health care issues like right. the the uh, the association of obesity and diabetes mm-hmm. uh, is very very closely associated and diabetes mm-hmm. uh, is a is a silent killer it it is uh, a, a one of the main risk factors for coronary artery disease right. uh, and other heart disease uh, it also uh, people who have obesity they don't exercise or have less activity. So oftentimes the early warning signs for heart disease go missed. Uh, it's easy to, to chalk up shortness of breath or sure. exercise intolerance or even just walking up a flight of stairs intolerance yeah. to their weight. And they, and they oftentimes miss some subtle cues that they may have early or even more advanced heart disease. Yeah. You know, I would, I would think that when somebody gets um, to see you for uh, like you said, bypass surgery, they're on the verge of maybe having a heart attack. 
How much of a wake-up call is this where somebody that maybe has been obese most of their adult life now goes for surgery, has to go through the whole recuperation period, they're probably scared as hell. Do you see people have a change of heart to the point where they become uh, more compliant with diet, they're exercising, they're meeting with a dietitian post-open heart surgery? I do, Joe, and and I think that uh, there's something about having heart surgery that really does scare people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think maybe scares them more than they really need to be. Right. But it does scare them. And, and it is, it's a, it's a unique amount of time that you have to educate them, to make them more aware, not so much what has caused the heart disease, but what they can do moving forward right. to have a healthier lifestyle. Right. Which includes losing weight, exercising more. Right. If they smoke, they should quit. Uh, and, and all those things are hard to do. But but that is the time around heart surgery that they are the most attentive right. to learn and and to adapt those kinds of healthy behaviors. Right. And, and I guess what we all do is you don't want it to have to get to that crisis period, but it does. I mean, people are human and we have all sorts of crazy habits and Ounce of prevention. Yeah, I know. All right, Tom, we're going to take a break. We are with Dr. Tom McGilvery, heart surgeon, along with Helen Yuan, our registered dietitian, hanging out with all of us tonight. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Segment four coming up. We'll be right back. Rocking along tonight, Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You could actually send me an email if you have any questions or comments about tonight or uh, any any topics that you'd like to hear about in the future, drjogalati.com. All right. In the studio with Dr. Tom McGilvery from Houston Methodist Hospital and Helen Yuan. Um Helen, the, the one thing we picked up with at the end is that when patients are faced with a crisis, right, they're going for open heart surgery or they've had a heart attack, and now is the time to turn around their diet and lose weight and become compliant, uh, what, what advice would you talk to a patient tomorrow, let's say, mm-hmm. that has diabetes, they're overweight, they have hypertension, what, what might you say to them to encourage them not to go any further to the edge, right? I mean, that's the idea. Absolutely. Um, Because just because you've had some kind of event or you've been diagnosed with something definitely doesn't mean that your life is over. You can absolutely turn back the clock, make a very long health span for the remainder of your life. So I'd say the biggest thing that you can do in order to do that is to start preparing your own foods from whole foods, from scratch yourself so that you have control over what you're putting in your food and therefore what you're putting in your body. And also, of course, trying to be as active as you can. Um, If you have any kind of limitations, you know, make sure it's cleared with your doctor, but um, being active and moving those muscles, getting that heart working, that's definitely a big factor as well. Yeah. And and, and I would say, and Tom, you, you have the same conversation with patients where, don't wait for a tragedy to happen. Don't wait for that heart attack. Don't wait for that stroke. Have that wake-up call T minus six months, T minus 
a year before things go bad. No question, Joe. And because uh, the trouble with a heart attack is heart attack is a, an injury to the heart muscle. And as you lose parts of the heart muscle, that will really, that's what causes the disability, the, the, the inability to do the things that you like to do. Right. So absolutely, you want to, uh, the, the best thing to do is, of course, to prevent it. Uh, and that, as Helen and I were talking about earlier, if we could get to kids and young adults to teach them uh, healthy lifestyles and uh, to be aware of what could potentially be risk factors for them specifically, mm-hmm. to be on guard and to avoid uh, the problems that can occur from heart disease. Yeah. Now, one one question, Tom, which uh, you were trained in Boston, I assume? I was, yeah. Trained in Boston. I was trained the majority of my time in New York City. I've been in the Texas Medical Center 25 years. You've been here a couple years now. Um, I like to say that, in a sense, med center snob. Big, big hospital, big complex. Um, And there are plenty of well-trained surgeons, well-trained medical people throughout the country. But there's something special about that big city, big medical center, and especially where we're at, Houston Methodist Hospital, the Texas Medical Center. For somebody listening tonight that uh, is in need of a heart surgery, a valve replacement. Now, we're not, we're not trying to say, hey, uh, call us tomorrow and cancel your skir- surgery. But I think people need to go into these types of surgeries well-informed as far as what they are getting into, the complexity of the case, and is there um, a role for a second opinion? Is there a role from being in a... Uh, community-based hospital, let's say. And again, they serve a tremendous role. I mean, the majority of care for everybody around the country is in small local hospitals. Uh, but what is the role for a, a behemoth medical center like this where, where we work and we've spent our entire career in? That's a great question and point, Joe. I, there are good doctors, good healthcare providers yeah. everywhere. Uh, to have heart surgery, and certainly complex heart surgery, requires more than just the heart surgeon. It requires right. uh, a, a team of experts in a hospital that has resources, uh, intensive care unit, intensivists. Anesthesia. Uh, imaging, I- anesthesia. Yeah. A, a whole team of people. Dietitians. Dietitians, <laughs> of course. Yeah. That, uh, that are all very important parts of the success uh, and a good outcome of heart surgery. And so right. there are good heart surgeons in smaller hospitals. And, and I think that the point that you made about second opinions, it's always a great idea to get a second opinion. Right. In, in, any, in, in my experience, any doctor who doesn't think you need a second opinion probably doesn't have a good first opinion. Right. Uh, because if, if uh, for me, uh, when somebody one that sees me wants to get a second opinion, I'm like, that's a great idea. Right. Maybe we'll find out that there's something that I've overlooked. Maybe I'll learn something myself from that second opinion. 
I have enough confidence, and I think most doctors will have enough enough confidence to welcome a second opinion. So it's a right. great idea, always. Yeah, yeah. And and and, and again, this this is in no way a a, a slight against um, you know smaller towns and smaller hospitals, but um, I think in the the pyramid of complexity, that's the way I look at it. Even in you know the the space that I live in in liver disease. There is a, I mean, certainly we are not taking care of every single patient with liver disease. I mean, that, that's, that's uh, uh, sort of a silly comment, but it's getting up to the more complicated that you welcome these patients uh, to come to the med center for another opinion. But, and, and I, I guess the other big problem is that this technology that you talked about is not equally distributed even within Texas or the Southwest or the United States, uh, a lot of these new techniques just are not everywhere. Right. That's that's right, Joe. And I think that uh, you know the ability to have uh, uh, coronary gated CT scans that that allow you to, without in a, in a non invasive way, look at coronary arteries, the uh, MRIs that we use to look at the heart. Uh, we have incredible technology at the medical center that, that really isn't available in uh, smaller hospitals. Right. I would say in the last 30 seconds or so, uh, Tom, for somebody that tonight is to be scheduled for heart surgery or some sort of cardiac procedure, if you were to tell them one or two questions to ask their doctor, their team, about the surgery and the procedure, what would you say these are the two questions you want answered. So I, I would ask them first, uh, what are the risks? What, what are the, the things that can happen, the bad things that can happen, and how frequently do they happen at your hospital? Right. Uh, because there are some hospitals, there are some centers where those risks of complications are higher than others. Right. Uh, I would also ask them what you can do to help make your hospitalization better. Right. Uh, if you, it's kind of like going into a roller coaster ride blindfolded. Uh, so the more you know, the more you can help, the better it will be. Perfect. Tom, you made it. You made it through <laughs> your first stay. Helen, thank you very much for coming in again. And uh, uh, Dr. McGilvery, thank you for all you do. It's a great being your colleague. And, um, all the care you give to everybody here in Houston. Joe, the so. pleasure is mine. Thank you. All right. We'll be back next Sunday night. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Have a great week. Thanks for listening today to our podcast. Don't forget, for more information, check out drjoegalati.com. Information about my book, Eating Yourself Sick, is available there, as well as our clinical practice, radio program, and social media links. We need you to be part of our tribe and community. Until we meet again, I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Ciao. Ciao.